Welcome to the YGV100FM podcast. I'm your host, Wun Tan. In this podcast, we invite you to join us in the exciting world of your global village. If this is your first time here, we are a community living and working in a metaverse-inspired village. Our purpose with this podcast is to share the stories of each resident and find the lessons learned that can help you get better results and have a bigger impact. Whether you're just starting out in your business or you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you'll find fresh ideas and inspiration in these stories. Hi, and welcome to another episode of YGV 100FM. Me today, I've got Susan Ritter. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Woon. How are you today? Good, good. So tell us, um, tell us, tell us how... Tell us a bit about your background, your personal impact, right? So uh, how did you become who you are today? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm pretty old. So how I got here is a long story, <laughs> but I won't, I won't tell the whole story. So I grew up in Canada. Um, I moved to the States in the late 90s and took a job working in nuclear plants. I was single and uh, a workaholic and a career woman. And that was kind of my plan for life is that that's what I was going to do. I loved working in nuclear. It, um, it gave me a lot of structure and it, it was, it's, it's an industrial environment, but it's very clean. So I actually really enjoyed it. It's very engineering based. So it was good. I had a great boss. I really enjoyed it. And he gave me tons of opportunities, which kept me there. I do tend to want to go from one thing to the next. I get bored really fast. And that was the first place I'd worked where my my manager recognized that about me. And so every time I looked like I was getting um, itchy feet, he'd find me a new project that was more challenging than the one before. And so it just ended up being a, a, an excellent career. And I get, had some wonderful opportunities. Um and then, but a change did happen when I was in my mid forties, all of a sudden I thought this working only, only working. And I, I didn't always work. I would play on the weekends, but at some point you kind of grow up because maybe late in that, because I was in my forties before I grew up. But at some point I thought, you know, I think I do want to have a family. And I think that's tied more to my, my personality that I want to have tried and done everything as many things as possible before I'm gone and having a family having a child is something that you know it's something that every woman can do and yet it's it's kind of strange to just leave that one off the list so I thought no I want to have a kid so um, in 2005 I had my son and by that point I was about 10 years away from um, retiring. So it was very comfortable because I'd only had money to collect for myself. I had always been buying houses. Every time I moved, I kept the house I had bought, turned it into a rental, and then just found another house. I never rented after I left college. In fact, even in college, I the last year I was in college, I bought my first house and I filled it with a bunch of kids. I had no money. So I just put a bunch of other students in it and they basically paid for their mortgage and the utilities and my cost of living. And, and so I lived that last year for free 
just by sharing a house that I bought. So that was a great experience. It had gone with about a 10-minute thought pattern before I jumped into that. So there was no long-term planning in that. But it did show me how easy it is to get into real estate. And I moved collecting houses all over the continent, wherever I happened to be. And so that was that was cool. When I was working in the in the plant, it's nuclear utilities are great. All utilities are great because they still have pension plans and and they have retirement savings plans and that are like the superannuations in other parts of the world and just all these ways to save money. And when you have only yourself to pay for and you've got a a high end job, then it's really easy to put money away. But I didn't spend much time thinking about it because sort of the common wisdom is put your money into all these systems that are already put out there and then you don't have to think about it. And so that was great. And that's what I'd been doing. And then when my son was born, I started to put together this dream of when he was old enough, we were going to live on all the different continents in the world. I real I love traveling. I've traveled my whole life. And um and I want him to grow as a global citizen because after all, in 2005, that was all the rage, you know, everything was going global. So I thought, we don't know where we want to be when this all finally rolls out. And so if he's growing up living in all these different places, then as an adult, he can choose. If he wants to come back to America, that's fine. But if he really enjoys Asia, he can live there because he'll know the language, he'll have friends. If he wants to live in Africa, he can go there, South America, whatever. He can choose it, right? And so that was the plan in 2005. And so I got really focused on actually consciously putting money aside and making sure that we were doing what we needed to do for that. Um, And then in 2008, the financial crisis hit and everything got cut in half. And that was, that was a shock for me because I kind of believe that if you give these guys, they take care for you and you don't, because that's why it's in a retirement plan, like gambler invest I give it to the people that they tell me to give it to and they're supposed to take care of it and so when I followed up the attitude the attitude was also bad because it was like well yeah it's really bad that you lost all this money but you know there's nothing we can do about it and no there's no other choices your only choice is cash or stocks and that's when I realized there had to be other choices and so I went out and I started figuring out rich people, rich families aren't having this crisis. Only us in the middle class are having this crisis. So what are they doing that's different? And it didn't take very long for me to realize that there are so many different investment type opportunities out there that are perfect for not spending your money and not letting other people take the profits off the top. And they put you in a situation where you're not dependent on the banking system and you're not dependent on, on the, well, mostly the banking system or the government or anybody else. They just, and this is why they're wealthy. They're wealthy because they're putting their money in things that feed back to them instead of feeding that whole bureaucracy of the financial world. And so And so I couldn't get out of it because I was working. It was part of the plan, but I could reduce how much money went into those plans. And so I did. I cut it back by a half 
I kept just enough to get the match that the company was giving. I took the rest out and I started investing in some of these other assets that wealthy people invest in. And so when, so I actually was able to retire at the time that I had planned on retiring and had recovered everything and, and doubled it. And we were in pretty good shape. So at the end of 2017, I retired and my son was uh, 14, had just turned, no, 13, just turned 13. And um, I put him into homeschool. We packed up, um, sold, sold uh, the house that we were living in, still have rentals and uh, went to a conference to figure out, well, where do we want to go for our first destination? And we thought it would be somewhere in Central America, like Costa Rica or Panama, Nicaragua. And so at this conference, it's an international living conference. They bring representatives, expats from all the best retiree locations around the world to do this conference. And there was an Australian guy who had retired to Penang. And, and he, was, he, was, he, was such, he was such a stereotype. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. He gets up on stage with his presentation, a beer in both hands, and he just starts talking about what a party it is to live in Penang, right? And But he had this beautiful presentation, and it just captured my imagination. <clears throat> and so when he got off the stage, I went over to talk to him. And before I left that conference, he had hooked me up with somebody to get our visas. And six months later, we were in Penang. We'd never been there before. Everything was taken care of. We showed up. The guy that took care of our visas showed up at the hospital where we had to do our medicals to finish off the visa application. He had a realtor there for us to go and look at places to live and everything. He just like these guys just took care of everything. So we showed up. We moved into this beautiful apartment overlooking the Straits of Malacca. And we lived there for three years and traveled around Southeast Asia. And it was exactly what we wanted it to be. Um, until COVID yeah. and then we got stuck. We couldn't travel anymore. And so then we sat and that's when I started the business because at that point, up to that point, I visualized playing for the rest of my life, traveling and trying out new destinations and teaching my son different things and learning languages and doing all that. But now that we're stuck caught inside the apartment um, I had just run into Genius U, just met Roger that September before, uh, went to the Singapore conference and then to Bali a couple of times um, for the Crystal Circle thing. Um, I think that's where I actually met you for the first time, Woon. Were you in Crystal? Were you at, I, I were you think at the we Crystal Conference in 2019? I think we met online. Oh, okay. So, so, so we, it's really funny, right? So so obviously you, you came to Malaysia and then I well you came to Malaysia while yeah. I was still in the UK and then now you've left Malaysia and I'm I'm here in Malaysia. That's right, that's right. We swap places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you have to well, KL's okay. KL is a cool place. It is. We we spent a Christmas in KL. I loved it. Um it has the best mall. We did a Christmas mall there. We went, we were there for Christmas and we went to the big mall downtown. And that place, I have not seen a mall packed like that since the 1970s in Canada, where you actually couldn't move. Like there were so many people that you went from store to store by getting into the flow 
and the crowd moved you to the next door and you fought your way out of the crowd to go into the store, which had its own crowd. And then when you were done with whatever you were doing there, you had to fight your way back into the mob so that they could carry you to the next place where you wanted to get off. It was crazy. It was crazy. But I thought, but it's not surprising because it's full of uh, new Chinese coming in and there's so much wealth there. And it's just like what North America was back in the 70s from from the oil, just this massive oil boom. And where I was living, it, everybody was rich that year. And it just it was crazy. It was crazy in the malls. But I hadn't seen that in like 50 years. It was shocking to me to see that again. So I said, I, so I said to my son, you need to look at this because it's never like this doesn't stay forever. But this is a great experience to see once. So it was it was very cool. But so that's that's it was sitting there. It was it was doing that. That was the last Christmas we spent away from the apartment. <laughs> so now now we're uh, now we're just trying to get back into the world. But in August, we left, we left there. So we started, I started Wealthy Wise Woman while I was over there, um, uh, just followed sort of the path of what Genius U was doing and saying and great mentors, as you know. And, um, and then in August, because Malaysia really was struggling to open up, we just said, okay, it's enough of this. We're going to go back. We've got to find another place in the world where we can actually get out and enjoy the world because he's growing up and he's my 10 years of having him are going to be over and we are not going to have seen any other parts of the world. So, so we came back to America with the idea of going to Portugal, but now the lockdowns and there's all kinds of things happening again. So now we're just going to stay here until hopefully we get some stability in the world and then we'll, we'll see where to go next. Nice. If we don't make it here. We may go to Central America. That mm. might be the other place. So, you know, jumping to the, I guess, the, the second part of the, the interview, right? T- tell us a bit about your your business. I know you, you talked a bit about, you know, the investments that you've done and how that led you to, you know, um, I guess, being financially free. Could you share with us what got you started in your business and how are you working with your, your clients? Yeah, sure. So, so I do focus on women. And I focus on women for a couple of reasons. Um, I think everybody needs help in this area. But I think for men, there are enough places and there's enough people that sort of speak the way men think about money. And so you can, if, if you're really interested in figuring out how to invest and how to set yourself up for the future, there's many places you can go and just find that. Women come to money differently than men do. And it's very, it's very societal. There are taboos about talking about money that women have carried with them. And it does come from it, it comes from a past where the the man owned the assets, they were responsible for it, good or bad, like they weren't necessarily any better at it, but but it was the norm for society, at least in the West. And so women were sort of discouraged from from talking about it or thinking about it. If you were sort of in the higher echelons, it was gauche talk about money. If you're a woman, that was something for people to take care of for you. If you were down in the lower, if you were 
part of sort of the lower middle class or or poor, then your relationship to money is just a relationship of of um, survival and and lack. You're always living in lack, and so and so women have not traditionally been encouraged to think about money and how to take care of it and what to do. So, um, so I was actually talking about a survey that I put out and asked women or asked people on this women's network, what would you do if I gave you $5,000? And I was amazed that most of them had really good reasons to give it away to somebody. None of the, I think out of the problem, and, and it, it went viral as a question. I had thousands of responses and probably out of those thousands of responses, I'll bet you there was less than 1% that said I would invest it. All the rest of them would give it to a family member. They would go buy some clothes. They would buy a new car. They would... Like everybody just spends it. They just want to spend it. It's like they want to get rid of it as fast as it's coming in. And I thought there is something about that in the way women think about money. It's like they don't want to hold on to it for a couple of reasons. And I've kind of learned this as I've worked with them. They don't hold, they don't want to hold on with it or they don't even want to earn too much of it because they don't know what to do with it. And they almost feel guilty having it. And especially if they have more than like I had one, one, one woman tell me that she felt guilty that she made more money than her father made. And of course, it's very common for women to go, oh, it's it's bad in our family if we talk about money because I make more than my husband makes or or I, but all this guilt about about earning money and understanding that if you're earning that kind of money, you must be creating amazing value because that's all that money is. It's a, it's a yardstick to tell you what a good job you're doing. And, but, but two things happen. If they're not making money, then they tell you, they tell me it's okay. I'm not making money because I'm passionate about what I do. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, but passion's not going to pay for the food when you're 80. So, you know, if you're not making money, you're going to have to figure out how to do something before then so that you have some money so that you can survive when, when you get old. And the ones that are making tons of money are going, I just don't know what to do with it. So they tend to throw it into a bank account that they're not looking at. And then someday something comes along and they go, oh, look at all this money I have. Well, maybe I'll go buy a car. Or maybe I'll refix the fridge or maybe I'll renovate or maybe I'll go for a big holiday and hit the spas all around the world or whatever and and so they just they don't want to look at it they don't want to think about it and and so much of it has to do with guilt and and I'll tell you most people think that they don't have a problem with being wealthy that they think that it would be just fine but when you start asking them the questions about, well, how much do you have and what do you do with it? And how do you feel about it when you don't have it versus when you do have it? And the answers always come out to, I can't hang on to it because like that would just look bad and I wouldn't know what to do with it. And that is not how men think about money on the whole. And, and so coming to my work means that I have to come to them from a different perspective. 
have to understand that whether they know it or not, they probably have a bad relationship with money. Most, most know that, well, not most, many that actually just come to me that I haven't sort of gone out looking for, they know they have a problem with their relationship with money and they know who to blame for it. It's their dad or their mom or their husband or somebody is at fault for having made them feel this way about it, but they know they've got to get past it because they're now on their own. And if they don't figure it out, nobody's going to take care of them. So they've got to do it. And so most of my clients, well, to date, all of my clients have been single, whether they were always single or not, they are single when they come to me and they have money in hand and they have no idea what to do with it. There's usually embarrassment about that. There is, there is always a sense of, I should have done this a lot sooner. I should have taken responsibility. Sometimes they're in really bad situations where they were just trusting. And now all of a sudden that, that whole situation that they were trusting fell apart. And now they're having to figure out what to do on their own. And so they just, they're just looking for help. What is what I love about what I do, actually, there's one other problem that often comes to me. This is not usually people that search me out. This is people that I talk to and they've called me because they've been recommended. And their concern is that, well, you know, I've been down this road before. I trusted somebody. I gave them my money. They did something with it. I didn't really know what they were doing, but they, they assured me that everything would be great and I'd be safe by the time I retired. And then it was all gone one day. And I don't know what happened to it. All I know is that now I'm afraid to let anybody take care of my money. And, and what I like about what I do is I don't take care of anybody's money. I don't believe that anybody should be managing or making decisions about your money. Only you should be making those decisions. But before you can make those decisions, you have to know something. And so my whole role is in teaching. Teaching first that recognize what you think about money and accept it, understand it, because until you understand it, it's going to continue to elude you or it's going to continue passing through your hands and you're not going to hold on to enough of it. Um, and then once we get through that and we just understand it, it's usually just a, an awareness because like I say, it's like anything. If you already think that you're doing fine, then you don't know that you have to fix something. As soon as you recognize that, oh, maybe that is something I need to address, then it's mm -hmm. not a hard thing to address. You just have to fix it. And then we go into looking at where they are financially at this point. Where is all that money stashed? Or where can you find money if you've been letting it go through your hands? And so we go through all the financial setups and, um, and then we start talking about here's your choices. And there isn't only two, it's not real estate or the stock market. There's like many, many, many more choices. They all have different levels of risk reward. They, some are designed with the intention of never falling below your current lifestyle and others are about changing your lifestyle to a lifestyle that you never dreamed possible and everything in between. And so learning what kind of a risk taker a person is, every personality is made up of um, sort of their genius, but also their risk level. 
And you can be in any of the geniuses and have different risk tolerance levels. Some are more prone to one or the other, depending on where you are, but, um, but it's all on scales of gray. So understanding where the risk tolerance level are um, and the kind of person you are, it doesn't mean that you're a good or a bad investor. It means this is where your blind spots are going to be. If you're, if you think that a great idea is a great idea and you're just going to throw all your money at it, then here's the things you need to do to protect yourself from those decisions. If you're the kind of person that's afraid to invest in anything, so you just keep sitting on cash, well, you need to break out of that a little bit and get a little bit more risky. And here's how you do that and still feel comfortable. Most people that are risk adverse don't do it because they're afraid they won't be able to sleep at night. Mm. But you can make investments even in, in speculative investments that when you do it the right way, you don't have to worry about it because you can't lose your shirt on it because of the way you do it. And so going through strategies, knowing what your different asset choices are, and then finding the ones that fit the personality and the interest. Like I've, I've had, I had one client come in and go, yeah, we could do real estate as a foundational asset, but I hate real estate. I don't really want to do real estate. I, you know, it's got too much overlap and too many other things that I have to do. I just don't want to do it. And so I go, okay, we won't do that. There's lots of choices. You don't have to do real estate. So, so how, how do you work with people? Like do you work with them one-to-one and, and guide them through this process and yeah, share, share a bit about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, at this point, it's all been one, one-to-one. So it's a three-month program, once a week for three months. And we start by seeing where they're at, where they want to go, what they're trying to accomplish. And then it's a bunch of learning different assets and, or about the different assets and the different strategies. And I am changing that up slightly because there is so much that I find that we end up being on way longer than we need to. So I have now a series of recordings that becomes homework. Go learn about gold. And then when we get back together next time, you can tell me if you want to invest in gold. And if not, then, all right, here's the series on crypto. Go learn about crypto. And then we'll talk about that when you come back next time. And so, I, so I've done that, which should supposedly make it a little bit shorter. And so then once we've talked about all the different kinds of assets, then we look at which ones are they interested in and how would they fit into a diversified portfolio? Because a portfolio needs some foundational stuff and some growing things and and how to make strategic decisions on how to get together. And then we match what their money is and what they have today and what they have coming in to the kinds of investments they want with the idea of, okay, if you do it this way, this is how it's going to look over the next five to 10 years. Quite honestly, um, you can turn it, you can turn it around in in less than 10 years today. You can get to financial freedom in less than 10 years. If you're, if you've got income and you're focused on making that as, as a priority, anybody can. So what's the biggest like mindset changes that you see you've seen people experience? Um, probably the biggest one is they come in afraid, not sure that they're going to be able to do it, that it's going to be hard, they're not going to know what how to make decisions. And they 
are walking away with confidence to go buy something even after the first session. I had one client come in. We talked for like an hour. Um, we talked about crypto. And then without even getting to a point where we would go and make any purchases, she got off the phone. She went, she opened her self an account and she bought some Bitcoin like the same day. Like now she's a star. So that's how a star would work. Like, oh, this is a cool idea. I'm going to go do it. And, and so she did, then doubled her money like in two months. And wow. so, and then she's sold on it. And now she's just like, it's all, it, it's all she really wants to do. But it was interesting because she came back later and she said, you know, we should probably see what else there is. And she ended up with this really great idea for, um, for taking some property that she owns and turning it into a working property with a whole bunch of ideas behind it. And so now she's now she's doing a project with her property and turning it into a moneymaker. And so each, each person has their own thing. But the biggest change is the confidence, is getting that, getting from, I don't do it because I have no idea, to going, oh, this is so easy. What was I thinking? In fact, my biggest worry with all of them has always been that it feels really easy and I'm always afraid that they're going to go and throw everything something and then it's not going to work or it's not going to keep working and they haven't done the diversification because they fell in love with this one idea and they've gone all, all in on it. That's the biggest risk that we have always with beginners, you know, just enough information and knowledge to get in trouble right so there's that so so i start first by getting them to a point where they're really they're really confident and courageous and then i spend the rest of the time and that's usually like in the first two or three sessions and then i spend the whole rest of the time reeling them back in going all right now you got to understand how to do this without totally losing everything that you already have so yeah so it's it's an interesting process because because I think that's the biggest thing is that people don't think that they can do it and then they find out how easy it is. So you know, uh, so Susan, you've been running this uh, since you you I guess you you since you retired. Um, what's the yeah. what's the what's the future for for this business? Uh, I I know I know you sort of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know we, we talked a, a little bit about this uh, earlier before uh, our conversation. Um, That's right. <laughs> but, you know, like if you, I guess, asking you a sort of more of a future uh, future yeah. vision question, right? So if you look back, you know, five years from now, what would, you know, if, if yeah. imagine if today is 2026, right? And looking back in the past five yeah. years, what would you say are some of the highlights for you? Yeah. Um, actually, there are a couple things that I that I would really like to do. One of them came out of my clients. I have a lot of artists as clients because artists really struggle in this way, and and most of them are struggling. Like the whole struggling artist thing is a is a real thing. And if they've come into money, they don't even pretend to know what to do with it, but they do want to do something because they know that this is the only chance they'll get. And I ended up. Uh, for a period having three women I was working with, all artists. They don't know each other. They're from all over the world. Uh, one was in Poland, one in California, and um, and one in France. And they and in their visioning, 
what they wanted was to find a place where they could just do their art for the rest of their lives. And somehow it would magically pay for them to stay, stay supported for the rest of their lives. And they all have that. I think that's the, I think that's sort of the dream of all artists, right? Just do my art till I die. Right. And I had in the past heard in some of my real estate track dealings and tracking and, and guys that I follow that in Europe, um, Italy, particularly, but some places in France as well, because of uh, the 2008 crash, many of the very small villages out in the hills have become ghost towns. There's elderly people living there, but as they're dying out, there's fewer and fewer people because all the young people have left, go find jobs in the city. And, and so those areas of Italy and France are dying because there's no income coming back. Um, and and there's no money to support sort of a tax base, and so and so the property isn't paying paying itself, and so they're actually giving these towns away for like a dollar per building to anybody that wants to come in and bring it back to life and do something. And so you have to sign a contract, and there's a gazillion rules and all of this stuff. But when I heard about that, I got really fascinated with the idea of going in either a castle town out in the hills or some or a vineyard town out in the hills and buying it. And so when I heard these women talking about their dream of having a place where they could just do art and here they are sitting on money, I'm going, well, here was an idea I had that I would go buy this town and bring people in to work on things and and maybe that'd be like a really cool thing. Cause there's like three of you, we could go between the three of us and invest in, you know, buy this town for like a hundred dollars and then refurb it and put in art studios and turn the, the Duomo in the middle of town into an art museum. And you could, and, you know, and shake, open up the little grocery store and the cafeteria and we'd all have these old stone houses that we could refurbish and live in and and then open it up and have art people right put on shows and have people come and maybe teach young people and set up a studio place or even other people just have artists from all over the place and spend time at this resort they got so excited by that whole idea so so as we've been going on and as I finished with working them with them through their program been set up they're sort of going their money's invested everything's going but every month every one of them will send me a note so susan are you in portugal yet susan are you have you found a town for us yet so they're all still holding on to this cash waiting to go and, and join into this thing so that was actually what i was going to be doing as sort of my next phase and then that idea started, uh, and then when I was at Wealth Dynamics with with Roger, he was he was not hearing that. He I didn't share that part. I just shared what I was doing now. And he goes, "Well, so what you need to do with your business now is all these women that you've taught how to do it, get them to be um, certified to teach your program to more people like that, and then you could put this school together and you could do this and that." And all of a sudden, it was just this other aspect of drawing into this where it's now a place where there's artists doing art stuff and there's a financial school for women and children over and, and youth over in this part. And, and, you know, just sort of, it, it grew from there. 
So that was, so I really was moving towards that. I actually ran into a fellow. The one thing that kind of freaked me out about it. Well, actually one of the things that that would lead to then is, and what had started it with another one of my clients was this idea that you can, you can set up a trust where you invest in the trust and the trust is earning money and you become self-banked. And as a self-banked person, you can create rules for yourself that anybody in your co-op or your foundation or your group that you allow as members can actually come and borrow against the pot to go do something that they've justified that like they come and they come into the town and they go, I want to add this aspect to the town. It's going to cost this money. If I can borrow it from, from pot, then when it's up and running, I can pay it back to the pot and it now is earning and paying interest back to the pot. And so the whole community becomes a self-banked community of people. And it was a, it was great. I got, I fell in love with the idea, but then I got off that, got off my wealth dynamics and went, I have no idea where to start. Like, I don't even know what the systems are. I, I have nowhere to go with this. And then I was talking to a guy on LinkedIn, I have no idea how he found me because he responded to a call for women, but he still responded. And he came on and he's a deal maker. And, and so he asked me, you know, we had a conversation much like this one, right? And then he's, and I end up telling about this project and he goes, oh, now originally my idea was foundation, a foundation that manages money and puts it out and gets it returned, right? But he said, no, 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 you don't want to go into foundations because those are nonprofits. You want it to be a profit thing. And a profit thing is a co-op. And then it's a membership and everybody has equal rights. And, and, and he, he spent an hour educating me on co-ops. And at the time I got off the phone, I knew exactly the model. I knew exactly the, the board of directors I needed to find, where I needed to find them, what kind of skill sets they needed. Like he gave me it, the whole blueprint in that one hour. And so I got off that call and got all excited about it again. And, but then I couldn't get to Portugal. So I went, oh, well, now I have to see if I can do that in America. And it actually might actually be easier in America. So I'm looking at, at starting that plan in Florida and actually expanding it out even to being a sustainable, self-sustainable community where it's, we have our own um, um, uh, perma farming environment and we make all of our own food for our, our community. And we would even have people in the community where we would run a restaurant and have all this natural food. And so it's, it just keeps getting bigger. I have yet to start it, but it keeps getting bigger, right? So it'll all depend on who shows up and wants to pick up any of these these pieces and run with them. And that's, that's really where it's going to, it'll be whatever it'll depend on who shows up. That's and amazing. What, what they want to be doing is their big dream and then but, pull them into the dream. And that becomes their aspect. That's their co contribution to the community. So, yeah. So, I, and I asked this guy, I said, so this is great. And I said, what can I do for you? And he said, when you get that set up, I want to be your personal advisor for 5%. <laughs> I went, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Five percent of nothing today. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I think so, that's a that's a very exciting vision for for what you're building. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm I'm very yeah. excited for for you and what, what journey lies ahead. Yeah, it sounds great. 
And half the time I'm really excited. And the other half I'm just petrified. And I have no way, <laughs> don't know what to do next. <laughs> so maybe that's the thing with big dreams. So, so, so Susan, for you know, for people who are who are new to you know to, to you, um, tell us where 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 we can find you. Um, I am on LinkedIn. That's my main platform for connecting with people. Um, I have a website. It's wealthywisewoman.com. It's uh, it's not it's wealthy woman with an a n at the end. Uh, I think that's the only thing that keeps me different from a whole bunch of others that are very much the same. So you'll know that you hit my website because there's a picture of my son and I sitting on the back of elephant. No, sorry. We're actually making pad thai. And then if you go then you'll see us on the back of elephant. So that's, that's how you'll know you're at the white at the right website. And I have a circle on genius. You it's a wealthy wise woman circle. And so anybody is welcome to join that. And I have partnered with, um, with, uh, the global village, your global village. So that's just getting set up. So you can find me here. And also I partnered with a woman in Bali who has a healer network and she wanted to bring some financial advisor into it as well. And her, she's got, she's got uh, men and women on her platform, but she felt that it was the women on the platform that really needed the service. So she thought it was good that I would focus mostly on women. I teach, but I do stay available even after the three months. If you're working on something and you're struggling with it, then it's, you know, it's a phone call. And just, I had this idea and I'm struggling with it. And what do you think? Because the most important thing I think to remember is that finances aren't, aren't this whole industry is always changing. Everything is in movement because money is a reflection of our economy and the economy is always changing. The situations are always changing. This is why you can't know whether it's a good, you can't know if any investment is going to be good or bad. You can be more or less confident in something based on how much you know. But the most important thing to know is that you can't know everything because anything could happen tomorrow. And, you know, we could have a worldwide pandemic that shuts everything down, right? (laughs) Anything can happen that you never thought could happen. And then it changes everything again. So the trick is to understand that and then prepare. You cannot know, but you can prepare for different you can prepare in a general enough way that any number of unexpected things can be accommodated. And that's really what you're doing. And so it's, it's not hard. The hardest thing in investing is your own emotions, understanding mm-hmm. your blind spots and managing your emotions because it's a contrarian activity. You should always be doing exactly the opposite of everybody else. If they're selling, you're buying. That's a really hard thing to do. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Susan. I think it's been a great uh, interview. Um, is there any other like final thing you want to share before we end this interview? I think the most important thing to understand is that the world is in this massive disruption right now. And this is a gift. 
And, and I am no different than anybody else. I will wake up some days in absolute fear because of the things that I'm reading or seeing or hearing about. And I'm, I'm in a panic. And then I get up and I start moving around. I start doing things and I realize, no, it all depends on what you're focusing on. And if you're, if you're, if you just put the fear aside, then you see that all of those things that you're afraid of, that's where the actual opportunities are. And you go embrace them and you make them work for you. Um, One of the best books that I read at the very beginning of this journey was called Crisis Investing. And it was by a guy that really understood that the the best thing, best way to get rich is go find where in the world is a big crisis that's just about to get resolved and go be part of the solution. When you go be part of the solution, you will walk out of that crisis as a, as a, you know, a millionaire. He, it's how he became one and it's how he's retained it all through the years is look for crisis and then be there to pull everybody out of it, be part of the solution. And so we got all kinds of opportunities to do that today. So don't be afraid Just step into it and go be your genius self. And you'll be surprised at where that takes you. I love it. Thank, that's so good. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you. And it's been fun talking to you. It's been great. So thank you for listening to the end of this episode. That was Susan Ritter of Wealthy Wise Women. You can find her at number 13 Global Square. Of course, if you've listened this far, make sure you check out the Village Cafe for our next event. We run regular fun and engaging events for our community where we support each other, toast each other's success and grow our business together. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune in to the next episode. Up next, we have Eva Dalgetty of Dalgetty e-commerce. If you don't know Eva, she will be sharing her journey from Guyana to the UK, becoming a programmer, for a software company and a teacher before setting up her own e-commerce business and now working with others who wants to get into e-commerce. So tune in for the next episode. To find out more about Your Global Village, head over to yourglobalvillage.com. My name is Wuntan and I'll see you on the next episode.